0: to the Gaimier Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're listening to the pod and trust that this message encourages your heart and faith today. At GBC, we're all about partnering with God in the renewal and restoration of all things. And it's our hope that through these sermons, you'll discover the life-changing power of Jesus. If you'd like to join us in person or online or find out more, check out our website at guymirabaptist.org.au.
1: we're in 2 Peter oh sorry 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 dear friends i urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use that, your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor.
2: Thanks, Sam. Uh, And I'm glad you read from 1 Peter, not 2 Peter, because 2 Peter is uh, all about false prophets and their destruction, which would have been an awkward sermon to make up on the fly. So I appreciate that. Uh, as, uh, as, uh, we've been, as I mentioned earlier, you know, this is a little bit of a celebration Sunday and also a bit of a commitment Sunday. I'm always of two minds about what we should be doing. and uh, We wanted to celebrate our volunteers in particular uh, today, but also I'm aware that we have an AGM in which we're going to be looking forward. An opportunity to talk a little bit about what 2024 hopefully will hold for us and the things that we hope that God will be doing in our midst. And so I'd like to take some time to actually talk a little bit about our theme for next year, Uh, that if you read through the papers for the AGM, whether you are going to attend or are not able to, you may have seen is uh, our extraordinary life together. We've actually put uh, extra in parentheses to kind of take it a little bit apart from the ordinary part in order to recognize something that's really true in nearly all of our lives. And that is, while there are extraordinary moments within it, those are usually in the wider context of ordinary moments, right? I think we we can all point to extraordinary moments in our lives, really big decisions, really special occasions, really remarkable periods of time. But the vast majority of our lives are pretty ordinary, aren't they? I don't mean dull or unimportant, but ordinary. You fill the dishwasher and you empty the dishwasher. You put the clothes in the washing machine, you hang the clothes out. You take the kids to school and you pick the kids up from school. You take them to soccer practice and you pick them up from soccer practice. You cook a meal, it's done in four minutes. You load the dishwasher and repeat, right? That's a pretty ordinary existence, and the vast majority of our life is like that. The vast majority of our life together is actually spent not gathered together on Sundays or in our life groups or in our ministry areas, but is actually spent in board meetings and in front of classrooms, and meeting with sales representatives, and answering emails, and meeting clients, and dealing with patients, and it just goes on and on. Apart from our work life, we have our families. Uh, With whether it be small children or children who are all in primary school or in high school or who are in various stages of moving out and moving back home and moving out and moving back home, right? Uh, Whether they're getting married and moving back home, all of those things, right? All of those things take place. That's our ordinary lives. Even our life together, right, that we might talk about in terms of our life groups or our ministry involvement or gathering here on a Sunday, all of those things are important. And there are, of course, times when something extraordinary happens, right? You know, a number of, uh, well, I guess it would be a couple months ago now, we celebrated baptisms. It's extraordinary. That's great. It's a wonderful thing. You've perhaps been a part of a life group where you have felt particularly cared for or supported in a difficult period of time. You may have been in a worship service where God has spoken to you in a particularly significant way, where you felt open to His Spirit in a way that you don't normally or where you felt that you've understood and grasped something of his word and its implications for you in a way that you never have before. You may have been involved in a ministry, whether as a participant or as a leader, where you just were aware of what God was doing. It's this extraordinary life together. And yet, so much of it, it's pretty ordinary. When I first began in ministry 30 years ago, I realized very quickly that if you could set up and pack down chairs and work the photocopier, you had mastered 70% of ministry. Because most of it was just really ordinary. You're setting stuff up, you're cleaning it up. You're photocopying things and then you're cleaning them up. You're talking with kids like it's just. But in the midst of all of that, these extraordinary things happen, right? Right? In the midst of those everyday ordinary moments, you end up having those extraordinary moments. And and one of the things that we want to try to focus on as a community of faith heading into next year is our extraordinary life together. Because there is an extraordinary component of what we're on about, isn't there? Now, we believe that God has invited each one of us to participate in his mission, his grand plan to restore and renew all things in Christ Jesus through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit, which he has freely and richly given to all of us. That is extraordinary, isn't it? And yet, most of that takes place in the midst of very ordinary circumstances. So how do we live an extraordinary life together? And I'd like to reflect briefly on part of 1 Peter 2, right? And to, to, to look at a bit of a framework, because I think Peter provides us with a bit of a frame to think about the significance and impact of this extraordinary life together. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about what that kind of means for us in the future and, well, call us to kind of commit ourselves as best we can to something that has been introduced to us this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you and want to have a look again at First uh, Peter chapter 2, Want to look at just a couple of verses from what Sam read for us and draw your attention to the wider context. So, Peter begins writing to a group of believers in Pontus and Cappadocia and Galatia and Bithynia, so whole regions. This is very much a a general letter to believers all throughout that primarily Gentile territory. And he says this Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, I want to focus a little bit on that opening kind of phrase. He urges them as foreigners and as exiles. And I just want to point out that this is not a literal designation, He's writing to groups of people in particular areas and regions. Now, I'm sure that there were some people in Bithynia who had moved to Bithynia from someplace else. But the majority of people that Peter was speaking to had probably lived in Bithynia for generations. They had been there forever. So Peter isn't just addressing people who had moved in. He wasn't just addressing people who had been exiled for political reasons. He was writing to the believers and he describes them as foreigners and exiles, which is a really specific and pointed analogy to perhaps the most famous foreigner and exile in scripture, Abraham. Abraham was called to be a foreigner and an exile. He was called by God and was so committed to the promises that God had made to him that he lived as a foreigner in exile in Canaan. And both and Abraham, his son Isaac and his son Jacob all lived that way. They lived in tents. They did not join a local city-state. They didn't take up citizenship with the Perizzites or the Hivites or the Hittites or the Jebusites or any other kind of ite. They kept themselves separate from those around them based on the promises that God had given to them. That their descendants would become a mighty nation. That their descendants would possess the land of Canaan. And that through their descendants, God would bless all. All nations on earth. And their commitment to those promises, their commitment to those declarations, their commitment to that future meant that they lived basically needing the grace of their neighbors and the protection of God because they lived in a hostile place. You read through the stories of the patriarchs, and there are a number of occasions where the family is under threat from those around them, where uh, Isaac digs a well, and then there's a debate about it, and he loses it. So he digs another well, and there's a debate about it with the locals, and he loses it. And he ends up making a a covenant with the groups around them, where there's threat and rumors of war. Jacob takes his sons to task for some activities that they engaged in that threatened their their existence as a family. They lived as foreigners and exiles, with a distinct and different future in mind. This is the image that Peter describes the church with. That to you, to you who have committed yourself to the promises of God in Christ Jesus, I urge you, live as foreigners and exiles. Keep yourself just a little bit separate as you live in this strange place. A place... That until you committed yourself to the promises of Jesus did not feel strange at all. But it ought to now. Because you are living by a different set of priorities, a different set of practices. I think we've all experienced this, particularly if you've traveled for an extended period of time or you've lived overseas. How many of you have lived overseas for, I don't know, six months or more at some point in time? Now you know what I'm talking about then. I have never been more Canadian than when I lived in Australia. In Canada, I was just, I don't know, like everybody else. There's nothing noteworthy. Here, my accent gives me away every single time. And after I correct them and say that I'm from Canada, not America, and assure them that they are forgiven for that mistake, (laughs) I am Canadian here in a way that I was not Canadian in Canada. You probably experienced it if you were Australian or South African or you're from New Zealand or wherever you might hail from. When you arrive someplace else, all of a sudden those things that are from your homeland just become a little bit more noticeable. Uh, You become a little bit more attached to them. My interest in ice hockey, which was I suppose always relatively strong, experienced a renaissance when I arrived here because it was something that set me apart. It was something that was expected of me, right? We are foreigners and exiles in a world that often doesn't feel very different for us. But we are seeking to bring the values and priorities and the goals of home to bear here. And our home is where Jesus is. Our home is the kingdom of heaven. And we want to see that, and it's that commitment that urges us to live as foreigners and exiles together. But then I want you to notice the way in which Peter uh, urges them to live this way. You live as foreigners and exiles, but you do that in a very, very ordinary way. If you skip to the end of the passage that Sam read, verse 17, he summarizes it this way. Here it is. You want to know the great spiritual reality of living like foreigners and exiles? It comes down to this. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Can you do that? I mean, we don't have an emperor, and I'm not sure Anthony Albanese would be comfortable with that, nor would we in Australia, or you in Australia. I'm Canadian. Right? Be comfortable with that. Right? Right? But you follow me? Notice how normal and ordinary it is. Just show respect for people out of fear for God. Love the family of believers. Be committed to those with whom you are also a foreigner and an exile. And again, we know the great power of meeting someone else like us. If you've been overseas, you've been traveling or you've been living someplace and you meet another Australian, another Canadian, you have a friend For those of you who at your workplace find someone else who's also a believer, doesn't that give you more confidence? Doesn't that just encourage you just to know that there's someone else? Maybe who doesn't come to your church or doesn't believe exactly the same things you do, but nonetheless is committed to following Jesus. There's something really powerful about that. Love the family of believers. Fear God, so live wisely. Look at the way in which God made the world and live that way. Honor the authorities around you. Notice that there's nothing here about being a great evangelist, knowing everything there is to know about doctrine, being able to defend everything that any believer might say anywhere on social media that suddenly has become what you must obviously believe to. It just says, do these things in the ordinary aspects of life. Now, there is, of course, a time, Peter says, urges us, always be ready to give an answer for the faith that we have, for the hope that we have, for the way in which we live. There's a time and a place for that. But here, it's just super ordinary. And then what follows, if you have a look in verse 18 and following, Peter engages in what's known as a household code, where he basically urges slaves and wives and husbands to live as foreigners and exiles in those contexts. And he basically ties it to our faith. He says to slaves who might be experiencing hardship and persecution and cruelty, face that because Jesus faced the same thing. He ties the connection for wives with that example of Sarah, the patriarch's wife who was equally invested and committed to the promises of God being fulfilled in their midst. In your ordinary life, Peter says, live as foreigners and exiles. And the reason why this is so critical was the same as it was for Abraham. I mentioned uh, that Abraham was committed to the promises of God, not just that he would have many descendants, not just that his descendants would occupy the land, but that through him all nations would be blessed. If you have a look in in, uh, in 1 Peter 2 and look before the reading, Peter makes a whole bunch of other statements about the church where he ties their identity to Israel. Israel where he talks about them as being, in verse 9 and following, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Which again links right back to Exodus chapter 19, where God says essentially those same things about Israel. And here's the critical thing about that set of descriptions. It's not just saying, aren't you special?" Because for Israel, the fact that they were God's possession and a holy nation and a royal priesthood and a chosen people was so that through them, the blessings of God to Abraham would be achieved. They were to be a living, breathing display home of what it looked like to live in relationship with the one true God. Their identity was tied to mission Here, Peter says the same thing as foreigners and exiles, as those who have inherited the promises and the commitment of Abraham, of those who have inherited the promises and the commitments of Israel, for whom and through whom God is restoring the world, live this way in an extraordinary fashion extraordinary because you are the inheritors of those promises, extraordinary because you are called to invite people into that same relationship, and absolutely ordinary because it counts tomorrow when you open your inbox. As you prepare to meet your first client, your first patient, as you prepare for the first class of the day, as you're driving to that sales pitch, as you're preparing that board paper, in all of those things, that, that, ordinary and extraordinary. And this is what we want to try to wrestle with a little bit as a community of faith next year a recognition that we are called to something extraordinary and a recognition that most of how we experience that is pretty ordinary, just pretty normal and common. And so we've set a number of goals. Again, for those of you who have read through the papers, you're hopefully aware of these, right? We want to renew our focus and our attention on life groups, encouraging more people to be in life groups, encouraging more people to lead life groups in order that we might have a place where we belong and where we grow, but enabling us to engage with our community. We want to uh, really uh, begin to develop a couple of spiritual sets of spiritual practices uh, wrapped around prayer and hospitality, uh, activities that we can do together Uh, that are fairly ordinary. I mean, if I said to you, hey, as a church, we're going to start to pray, I would hope all of you would go, don't we do that already? Like, isn't that kind of standard practice? Yes. Yes. How do we do that together? How do we take that ordinary practice and make it extraordinary? How do we show hospitality and welcome in extraordinary ways in the ordinary nature of inviting someone for lunch or welcoming someone with a smile? Uh, We want to uh, integrate our faith and our work practices. Uh, Work, of course, is not just paid work. It's any repeated intentional practice that we engage in for meaning and purpose. Uh, It can be paid work. It can be caring for your family and your household. It can be be caring for a spouse or partner or for elderly parents. It can be volunteering in a variety of places. It can even be the things we simply do around the home in our spare time. It can be the activities that we engage in. We want to see places where we can integrate our extraordinary beliefs into our ordinary work practices. And we want to continue to explore what it means for us to have a sense of community together. A sense that's really pretty tricky. Uh, People are really busy. Um, Our attendance pattern suggests that a quarter of you won't be here again for another month. Half of you won't be here until a fortnight from now. A quarter of you will be here again next week. I hope you sit next to those people. Because if you don't, you probably don't know them because we never move seats. Although I have noted a few of you are out of place this morning, (laughs) it's disturbing me, (laughs) which is why we never change seats. But can I also say, I think sometimes our benchmark for a sense of community are actually those extraordinary experiences of community that we've had. We, we think back to that ministry that we were a part of, where God was doing amazing things in the people that we were serving or where we were just growing in leaps and bounds and we go, that's community. Or we remember that life group or or that group of people that we were involved in where we were growing in leaps and bounds, where we felt super cared for, that we really, really, truly belonged in a way that we had never belonged before, where we were engaged in ministry with them and we were seeing God do extraordinary things. We go, that's community. And the problem with making those extraordinary moments our benchmark is that most of our experiences are more Ordinary, aren't they? So how do we as a community of faith, busy and kind of from all over the place, and, you know, a little bit random in terms of when we're all together, how do we facilitate some of those extraordinary moments of belonging and connection and engagement in the midst of our ordinary? I don't know I have a couple of ideas, and I mean two. And when they are exhausted, I'm out. How do we do that? Because these things are connected, aren't they? These things are connected. It is as we feel that we, are, we belong to the things that God is doing in the world, that we are truly engaged and able to be about the work of God in the world. Because when we have a strong, deep, profound sense of an extraordinary life together, it is something that not only strengthens us, but it is also something that we want to invite people to join into. That people can come and be a part of this little slice of the kingdom of heaven. Imperfect though it may be, an opportunity for people to experience what it's like to live in relationship with God. And to live in relationship with those who are foreigners and exiles, committed to the promises of Christ. Only as we fully engage, shall we say, in the mission of God and our extraordinary life together will we be able to bring all of those things together. So I think there's dangers for us in all these areas, right? Where we can end up becoming insular and internally focused to the exclusion of the mission that God has sent us to. Or so focused on the mission that God has called us to that we forget about how we actually kind of do that together. We've got to figure this stuff out. And so our theme for next year our extraordinary life together. Focusing both on the extraordinary, the fact that we're called to participate in what God has invited us to, the restoration and renewal of everything in Christ Jesus in the midst of our very ordinary lives of work and play and family and stuff on Saturdays and busy weeks and holidays and travel and business and that for us, to experience a life together engaged in the mission of God. So I'm going to invite you all, whether you are visiting or whether you've been here since day dot, to stand right now. Those of you at home, I'd encourage you to stand. I know sitting watching something online, it's hard to feel like you're really, really invited and all that sort of stuff, and it can feel weird standing all by yourself in your living room, but I'm going to invite you to stand as well because I'm going to assume that you are all inspired and that you are all committed to this idea. I don't want to know if you're not. Just humor me on that one. Ask me questions later, but I'm going to assume for the moment that we all, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in exactly the ways that I've described it or whether it's this community of faith or another that you're a part of, that we all desperately want to live as foreigners and exiles in this world so that other people are drawn to Jesus. That's the assumption of why I've asked you to stand. And if you are committed here, if this is your spiritual home, then I hope that this is a little more meaningful. If you're visiting with us, you have another community of faith, I hope you take this stuff back with you. Be committed there. But can I pray for us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as well at the same time. So we'll do a couple things. But shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are at work in the world, that you have never given up on your promises, your promises that never fail that you will restore and renew all things in Christ Jesus, and that you have, in your wisdom, in your mysterious ways, invited each of us to participate in that mission, that you have given to us your Holy Spirit to enable us, that we might be part of your work in the world. We thank you that while there are some extraordinary components of that, not the least of which is what I've just talked about, but that there are extraordinary moments of belonging and of seeing your hand at work and of growth and maturity. We also recognize that so much of our lives is lived in the ordinary, in the day-to-day, in the routines. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might knit us together together That you might unite us together as a community of faith, committed to your plans and purposes, committed to living as foreigners and exiles, to be just a little bit set apart as we seek to bring the good news to a world that is, as it was for Peter, as it was for Abraham, as it was for Israel, so often just a little bit hostile. May we be open to our community. May we live freely and openly before them. May we see you do extraordinary things in our midst. And I pray that as we look forward to next year, as we consider the ways in which we can live an extraordinary life together, that we might experience your goodness to us, that we might stand here next year this time with a great deal to be thankful for as we have seen lives changed by Jesus, our own, those of our families, of our friends, of our workmates, of our colleagues, that we might see lives changed by Jesus and your kingdom come on earth just a little bit more than it is right now. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement and God used this message to speak to you. If you want to connect more with GBC, you can follow us on social media or contact us via our website. You can also get to know some of the people from our church community through the We Are The Church podcast. Real stories of real people sharing how Jesus has shaped and transformed their life. We pray you experience the transforming power of Jesus in your life and pray that God blesses you today.